Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oh, the loons are so pretty. Oh, it's so nice and relaxed. Hello and welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, your creator and host with me this week is my wife, Carol. Say hello, Carol. Why, hello there. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate, Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadian schmoes chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double, and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some Dark Poutine. Dark Poutine. It does a body good. Yeah, not really. <laughs> it could. Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME to 686868. In the US or UK, text 741741. The service will match you with a volunteer counsellor who is supervised by a licensed, trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. In July of 2013, on a busy summer night in downtown Toronto, police received several calls about a man on a streetcar brandishing a knife and threatening passengers and the transit operator. After an encounter with police lasting only 50 seconds, the man had been shot several times and later died from his wounds. As videos of the incident surfaced, Many in the public were outraged, claiming that the police had used excessive force and called for the head of the officer who had pulled the trigger. You are listening to episode 162, Death on the 505, The Shooting of Sammy Yatim. I remember this case well. Do you remember it, Carol? No, not at all. No. It was a national story and all the papers and digital media sites were covering it. Usually in Canada, we don't get to see what transpired between police and an individual during a police-involved shooting. But in this case, onlookers were recording video on their cell phones as police responded, and security video was rolling inside the streetcar where Sammy's life came to an end. There were four angles of what happened inside the streetcar. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and so I've watched them all, and I will give links to all of those in our show notes, but a word of warning, folks, they do show a man being killed, and that man is very young. He's 18, so he's Uh, barely a man. Yeah. So, word of warning, it's the angles are such, and the quality of the video is such that you don't see gore, but it is a shocking thing to look at. Because it's real. 
And also in this episode, we're going to be using audio of that 50 seconds that took place between Sammy and the police. And it involves gunfire and a lot of foul language and those kind of things. And that was recorded by somebody on the street. Oh, man. Yeah. So we get to actually see everything and hear everything. That is so weird. Yeah. It's all captured, the whole thing documented. Mm Mm-hmm. The night of July 26, 2013 was a busy one in Canada's largest city. According to an article on this case by Mary Rogan on TorontoLife.com, it was a Friday night in the middle of summer and Toronto was hopping. Justin Bieber at the Air Canada Centre, Kiss at the Molson Amphitheatre, a beer festival at the CNE grounds and the Blue Jays were hosting the Houston Astros at the Dome. All those events where people were standing close to each other and yelling. Yeah. Back in the before times. Back in the before COVID times. So it was a busy night in Toronto. Mm -hmm. There was lots of people out and about. And one of those people was 18-year-old Sammy Atim. Okay. Sometime just before midnight, the slender-framed Sammy got onto TTC's westbound 505 Lansdowne streetcar on Dundas. He was wearing baggy white jeans, sneakers, a dark t-shirt with a large logo on it, a large gold chain around his neck, and a black hat with Cincinnati Rebs, a football team emblazoned on it with large red and black lettering. Sammy looked like an average teen out for a night on the town. Sammy had been partying that night. Blood tests would later reveal that the young man had significant levels of ecstasy, MDMA, as well as trace levels of cocaine and THC, the active ingredient in cannabis, in his system. Sammy walked down toward the back of the streetcar and plopped himself down in the last seat on the left side of the vehicle just before the rear bench seat. Four young women got onto the streetcar sometime after Sammy and made their way to the rear and sat down on the bench seat and other side seats huddled toward the right side of the vehicle. The video, taken by the four security cameras, is without sound, but it's powerful and disturbing. At the beginning of the video, shot by the rear-facing camera positioned near the front of the streetcar, we see only Sammy's legs. His left hand is in his lap under his baggy t-shirt, and we can't see his right hand. Everything appeared to be normal. The dark-haired woman in shorts and a white top was smiling and chatting with her friends to the right side of the transit vehicle. She was the person nearest to Sammy. She didn't appear to be engaging with him at all. Suddenly, at the timestamp 11.56.34, Sammy sat up and his right hand shot out toward the woman's throat and she recoiled in horror as he slashed once at her neck with a small stiletto knife. He didn't hit her. The women screamed and the rest of the passengers turned to witness the commotion. As Sammy stood, he revealed his penis in his left hand to the women who continued screaming. This is a nightmare. Yeah. The male passenger closest to Sammy stood and appeared to be advancing toward him But when it became clear that Sammy was brandishing both his penis and a knife, the man begins to retreat. The young women that Sammy had assaulted and continued to threaten rushed past the man and Sammy toward the exit at the front of streetcar. The girls mixed into the crush of passengers who were clamoring toward the exits, most racing toward the front, some exited out the back. Sammy slowly stalked after the passengers, moving to the front penis still in his left hand, his right hand outstretched, pointing the knife at them. 
He was wild-eyed and yelling at the passengers not to leave the streetcar, but everyone seemed to be bent on doing just that, and for good reason. Sammy said first, nobody get off the fucking streetcar. Yeah, first thing you do is get off the streetcar. Yeah. By this time, the driver had stopped the streetcar on Dundas Street West, just west of Bathurst Street, and the passengers piled into the exit well as they convinced the driver to open the doors. Then they began to flee out onto the street. The flood of calls to 911 had already started. Sammy continued ranting and waving his knife around as the last of the passengers, a man using his bicycle as a shield between he and Sammy, backed out toward the front entrance. Others who Sammy had simply walked past emerged from hiding spots and scampered out the back doors. Sammy had done a 180 now and was yelling for everyone to get off the streetcar. And this is all happening in seconds. Yeah. The security camera covering the front door recorded Sammy and Tim stalking back and forth. After the last of the passengers safely left the streetcar, the driver was stuck in his seat inside a safety enclosure as Sammy was blocking his exit. Sammy was engaged with the people outside the vehicle and didn't seem to engage with the driver at all. At a timestamp of 11.58, Sammy turns and walks back to the rear of the streetcar to retrieve his small black backpack, and the driver takes that opportunity to exit just before the wild-eyed young man returns to the front, continuing to curse at people on the street while waving his knife around. He's totally snapped. From the point of view of the front-facing security camera, Sammy can be seen sitting down in the front seat on the right side of the vehicle, and the transit driver re-enters and stands chatting calmly with Sammy, trying to ease the tension of the situation. The driver appears to be retrieving personal items from near his seat, when all of a sudden, at 11.59.30, Sammy lunges at the driver, knife in hand, and the driver sprints into the street, narrowly escaping Sammy's advance. As the clock hits midnight exactly, the silhouette of a police officer, his gun drawn, can be seen through the side windows carefully but quickly making his way toward the front of the streetcar and the door where Sammy is standing just above the stairs. Red and blue emergency lights from several police squad cars arrive almost at the same moment to the front of the vehicle now occupied by Sammy Yatim alone. Sammy puts his hands up at first, but then shows the police his knife again. The first officer on the scene, Constable James Forsillo, is the first to engage with Sammy. What you hear next will be the actual audio of the incident from bystander Marcus Grupp's cell phone video, intercut with my commentary. The audio clips that follow are intense. We advise listener discretion. Constable Fursillo shouts commands to Sammy, who is standing at the top of the front stairs leading into the streetcar. The first voice you hear is Sammy's. He's saying, you're a pussy, after being told to drop the knife. Fursillo keeps on the same track, repeating commands for Sammy to drop the knife. You can hear onlookers taunting as well. Other police officers arrive and join in with the pleas for Sammy to drop the knife. Their guns were also drawn and pointing towards Sammy at Tim. Sammy is stubbornly non-compliant and continues calling police officers pussies as well as muttering other inaudible profanities. Other police vehicles are arriving, including a shift sergeant with a taser. Here's some more audio. Drop 
Listening carefully, you can hear the police officer say, you take one step in this direction and I'm going to shoot you. From Mary Rogan's Toronto Life article, quote, Behind Forcillo, passengers were talking about what had just happened on the streetcar, some of them crying. It was Forcillo's job to contain the scene and make sure that Yatim didn't get off the streetcar wielding a weapon. He could have reached Forcillo in one step. If he jumped out into the crowd with his knife, Forcillo wouldn't have been able to use his gun without endangering bystanders. He warned Yatim, If you take one more step in this direction... That's it for you, I'm telling you right now. On the video, you can hear what sounds like someone, most likely Forcillo, saying, don't do it. And just about three seconds later, only 50 seconds into the standoff, three quick gunshots ring out as Constable Forcillo, standing just over three meters from the knife-wielding teen, shoots Sammy Yatim as he came forward, making his way toward the steps of the streetcar. From court documents, Constable Forcello said that he saw, quote, Mr. Yatim take a deep breath as if he was making a decision. Mr. Yatim's eyes opened wide and his jaw clenched. He flicked the knife at Forcello. Forcello stated that he believed that Mr. Yatim was going to attack him and that he needed to use lethal force to stop him. When Mr. Yatim did not stop in response to Forcello's demands and did not drop the knife, Constable Forcello opened fire. And here's audio of those moments. All three bullets hit Sammy Atim and he dropped immediately, mostly onto his back and leaning to his right. According to court documents, quote, one bullet struck his heart, one severed his spine, paralyzing him from the waist down, and one hit him in the upper right arm, shattering that arm. As more emergency vehicles arrive, Sammy, mortally wounded, continues moving inside the streetcar. At least a dozen police officers were looking on by now, close to Frasillo, with more on the way. Frasillo continued to assess the situation for five and a half seconds. From court documents, quote, As Sammy lay there, he retrieved the knife in his right hand and, using his left hand, pulled his shattered right arm across his body onto his chest. He held the knife on his chest using both hands. Mr. Yatim's legs were pulled up in a stacked position. End quote. Without using any any audible words, without any words audible on the video, shot by the that the vi, that the bystander shot, Forcillo fired his gun six more times into Sammy Atim, whose life was already quickly ebbing away. Here's the audio of those few seconds, including the six gunshots. While we were listening to that audio, Carol, you made a face. So can you talk about what you were thinking? Well, it's just shocking. And the person was clearly not a danger anymore. So he's laying there and he's getting shot. Yeah. Around 20 seconds after the shooting stopped, the shift sergeant with the taser was now on the scene. The sergeant took the lead up the stairs into the streetcar, taser in front of him, shouting for Sammy to drop the knife. When Sammy did not comply, he was tased. 
and his body leapt with the shock of the 50,000-plus volts coursing down the wires into Sammy from the non-lethal electroshock weapon typically used to incapacitate non-compliant targets. The thing was, Sammy couldn't comply. Medical evidence showed that, thanks to the first bullet from the first volley, that shot had entered his heart. Sammy Yatim was already dead. After the shooting, in the surveillance video pointing out the side of the door of the vehicle, Frasillo can be seen standing and watching, frozen, sort of in a daze, as the other officers rush into the streetcar from the front and the rear. They disarmed Sammy, kicking the knife away, secured him, and one officer checked for vitals. Feeling no pulse, they fruitlessly began chest compressions, performing CPR as his protocol. The ambulance soon arrived, and paramedics took over care of Sammy Atim. They rushed the teen to St. Michael's Hospital, where emergency docs pronounced him dead. Sammy was the only casualty that night. Thankfully, the bus driver and all the passengers on the 505 had escaped unharmed, save for the nightmares that the trauma might later bring. From Mary Rogan's Toronto Life article, quote, After shooting Yatim, Forcello was taken to 14 Division. Whenever an officer has been involved in the death or serious injury of a civilian, the Special Investigations Unit is immediately called in. Following standard SIU protocol, a sergeant took Forcello's gun and cell phone and segregated him from the other cops who'd been at the scene to prevent them from comparing stories and corrupting the investigation. He spent the next several hours in an interrogation room by himself, not permitted to leave unless chaperoned by another officer. The Toronto Police Association called the firm Browdy Thorning Ziberus the union's go-to lawyers for high-profile police cases, end quote. The cell phone video, of course, went viral. Facebook and Twitter lit up in the early morning hours of July 26. The video was shared thousands of times. The next morning, it was the lead story in the local news and quickly made its way to the lead story nationally. There were a load of questions right away. Why had Forcello not waited for the taser that he himself had requested? Why had he fired so quickly? Was the second volley of shots even necessary? Why had the cops not tried harder to talk Sammy down? All this had taken place in just 50 seconds. Why was Frasillo the only officer of all those involved, there were at least a dozen standing around, who felt it necessary to fire at Sammy? And we'll take a break right here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we're back. So what are your thoughts so far, Carol? Well, mostly, well, a couple of things. One is that it happened so quickly. All this kind of took place in under a minute. Um, so that's just like, whew, that just seems to have happened so quickly. And then also all the shots after he was clearly not able to kind of fight back or he wasn't even alive at that point. That's uh, upsetting, disturbing. There was growing outrage across the country and around Toronto as police watched the video of Sammy's shooting and tasing over and over again. You can hear the taser being deployed, 
uh, at around 90 seconds into the video. This is 40 seconds after he'd been shot fatally. Many felt that police had been too hasty in their use of lethal force in a situation that might have easily been de-escalated given the chance. But with only 50 seconds elapsing before Sammy's fatal shooting, that was just speculation. According to Toronto Life, quote, Sammy Adib Yatim grew up in Aleppo, Syria, and came to Canada in 2008 to live with his father, Nabil Yatim, a management consultant in Scarborough. His mother, Sahar Bahadi, was a pediatrician and a devout Christian whose home in Syria was decorated with pictures of Jesus. She had stayed behind when her son came to Canada. Sahar had watched the video of her son being shot. She later told Global News, The thing I care that they shoot my kid my son, and I didn't know why. I watched the video. He was standing with a knife, not with a gun, but with a knife, and I felt that he was very afraid. I felt it. I felt that he was very afraid, end quote. Yeah. Sahar said that Sammy was sent to Canada four years before his death to keep him safe from the escalating conflict in Syria. It isn't great there. No. She said that she wanted a better education and safer environment for her son. Sammy had no history of mental illness, and was not prone to violence. His behavior on the night of his shooting was described by those who knew him as anomalous, perhaps a bad reaction to the drugs he'd been taking. There was some stress in his life. Sammy switched schools in his senior year, leaving Brebeuf College, an all-boys Catholic school, and transferring to an alternative school where he'd begun hanging out with, quote, a tougher crowd. Sammy and his dad had been arguing, too. Sammy was then sleeping on a buddy's couch to get away, but it was nothing out of the ordinary. All his drama was of the typical teenage kind, and what happened on the streetcar was very out of character for the young man who people described as sweet and kind. And in all the pictures that I've seen of him, he doesn't look like a tough guy. He's not a big man. Yeah. He was a small little dude who appeared harmless, but then I'm not coming down against a police officer either who has to make a decision in a moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the officer doesn't know what they're up against. But also, it just seems so strange, even with the cocktail of drugs they found in his system, doesn't seem to be kind of make sense with that behavior that I understand, but I'm not like a science person or a medical person. A science person, meaning a scientist. (laughs) I'm not a scientist. Carol likes to say science guy. (laughs) It's Bill Nye. Yeah. Sammy's mom was planning on flying to Canada that Monday to help her son study for college. She came early after hearing of Sammy's death. From a Global News article on Monday, Sammy was a friendly, polite, gentle, and shy teenager who was in good spirits Friday afternoon, his mother said in an interview with Global News. Quote, no use of anger, no use of anything, no feeling, just sadness. I'm very sad, she said. Several Facebook groups and pages sprung up in support of the Sammy Fights Back for Justice movement. A pamphlet began circulating around Toronto calling for people to join a protest on Monday, July 29th at 5 p.m. beginning at Dundas Square. The pamphlet boasted a photo of Sammy wearing the shirt and hat that he'd been killed in. In bold letters above him read, Justice for Sammy. Across Sammy's chest in bold letters it said, Killer cops off our streets. So I'm just going to quote from the pamphlet. I didn't edit this. This is just what the pamphlet said. Got it. 18-year-old Sammy Yatim was fatally shot by Toronto police on the night of Friday, July 26. The incident was caught on camera and is disturbing evidence of how Toronto cops operate on a shoot-first, ask-questions-later basis. Sammy's murder is not an anomaly. 
Between 2000 and 2009, Toronto police murdered 21 people. I don't know if those are facts. This is what this pamphlet this is claiming. Being circulated said, got it. Back to the quote. Brutal and devastating. But between 2010 and the present, the pigs in T.O. have taken 18 lives, showing a clear escalation in violence and willingness to kill people as a matter of business as usual. Toronto struggles to find money for programs and services for the most vulnerable people while police operate with the billion-dollar budget killing teenagers and harassing people like it's nothing. The Special Investigations Unit has shown a clear inability to police the police, leaving cops in Toronto with a sense that they can get away with anything and leaving us with little hope for accountability from the authorities. We stand united against police violence and oppression in all its racist and classist forms, the police can't be trusted with guns, and they certainly can't be trusted to police themselves when those guns go off. The fantasy of the one bad apple is just that. We know all too well that the whole bushel is rotten to the core. We must support each other and begin to imagine and build a world without police. But until that world exists, we will fight with all our means for justice, for those killed by police violence. Please get involved, talk to your friends and family and look out for upcoming actions against police brutality in Toronto. So what I'm hearing is the defund the police movement. Yep, here. sounds like it. Mm -hmm. Some people believe that Canadian police don't need guns. Apparently in the UK, they don't need to have a sidearm. Yep, that's true. They have batons. Yep. I understand there's a lot of anger and there's that whole idea that all cops, quote, are bastards. I know a lot of police officers myself and I have trouble with that sentiment. Yeah. No, my sister's a cop. I'm not going to say they're all bastards. No. But Certainly, there, there, there are obviously problems and mm -hmm. there were obviously problems with what went on with Sammy Atim. Mm -hmm. According to Toronto Life, quote, Almost a thousand people joined his mother, Sahar Bahadi, and 16-year-old sister, Sarah, at Young and Dundas Square to protest the police's use of excessive force. The group marched west on Dundas toward Bellwoods Avenue, carrying Justice for Sammy signs and chanting, Shame! and Think Before You Kill. They stopped outside 52 Division and pushed toward the entranceway. Dozens of police held back the crowd and blocked the doors with their bicycles while march organizers pleaded with protesters to stay calm, end quote. Also on Monday, an SIU update was released on their website regarding the investigation into Sammy's shooting. Quote, the SIU has assigned six investigators and two forensic investigators to probe the circumstances of this incident. At this time, one subject officer and 22 witness officers have been designated. So that's a lot of people involved. Yeah. As part of the investigation, witnesses are being interviewed and video footage has been obtained. A post-mortem was conducted on the weekend. So SIU is updating and letting everybody know they are trying to do their jobs amid all this criticism. Mm -hmm. A week after Sammy's death, hundreds turned out to support his family and friends at his funeral. From an article by Katerina Clark in the Ottawa Citizen, quote, there was a momentary break in the solemn mood of the funeral Thursday for Sammy Atim when his sister Sarah let a glimpse of her brother's humor show through. If Sammy was here right now, he would be like, change this funeral, put some rap music on, and change my damn clothes, <laughs> said Sarah. Sammy lay in an open casket before her dressed in a suit. Sarah herself had skipped the formal attire. Like many of Sammy's teenage friends in the funeral home, she wore a t-shirt printed with nine shots, 
question mark, and a photo of her brother and the words R.I.P. Sammy Atim, 1994 to 2013. As Silo's name was released to the public, the calls for his dismissal from the service from Toronto Police Service and his arrest and calls for his arrest intensified. The SIU did their job quickly. And on August 13, 2013, just two weeks after Sammy's shooting, they had made a decision about case number 13-TFD-181 from the Ontario SIU's website. Quote, The director of the Special Investigations Unit at SIU, Ian Scott, has reasonable grounds to believe that a Toronto Police Service TPS officer committed a criminal offense in relation to the shooting of 18-year-old Sammy Adib Yatim in July of 2013. Director Scott has caused a charge of second-degree murder contrary to Section 235-1 of the Criminal Code to be laid against the officer. The incident took place on a TTC streetcar around midnight, July 26, 27, 2013. A warrant was issued this morning for the arrest of Constable James Forsillo. Wow. So they're charging a police officer with second-degree murder. Yeah. James Fursillo was arrested later that day, but as Constable Fursillo had been the recipient of death threats, SIU did not disclose the location of the arrest. On August 20th, 2013, Constable Fursillo was transported to the Old City Hall and made an appearance before a Justice of the Peace. Pursuant to the provisions of the criminal code, he was detained in custody. James Fursillo seemed like an ordinary cop. He'd never had to fire his gun on the job before his interaction with Sammy. He'd drawn it, but never fired it. There was nothing indicated that this kind of thing might happen. Life was hell for his wife and two young children as well. James was now very much hated by many, and the crazies came out of the woodwork. It was so bad that according to Mary Rogan from Toronto Life, his wife, quote, shut down her social media accounts when threats against her husband started popping up everywhere. One anonymous person tweeted, we know where you are. Expect us. Oh my God. Police removed the most serious comments and continued to investigate some, but they kept reappearing online. Quote, fucking pig, better go down for this, or shit will hit the fan. I'm not fucking kidding pigs. And it's way past time to have International Fry Pig Day. There was no reason on earth for them to shoot that boy, end quote. Yeah, this is frightening. Forsillo was freed on $510,000 bail. Toronto Police Service stayed a disciplinary charge of discreditable conduct under the Police Services Act of Ontario until the criminal trial was finished. Priscilla was brought back to work and was kept on the police payroll, albeit with no gun or uniform. He was put to work as a Toronto Crime Stoppers Administrator. On June 17, 2014, the preliminary inquiry into the charges against Priscilla ended with Judge Richard Ledresse, ordering Forsillo to stand trial in 2015. Evidence presented in the inquiry was under a publication ban at the time. Forsillo continued to serve as the Toronto Crime Stoppers Administrator. On July 30, 2014, Crown prosecutors added a charge of attempted murder, quote, by shooting Sammy Yatim with a firearm and thereby wounding him. This was for the second volley of shots after the first ones that had fatally wounded the teen. Legal experts said that the second charge was, highly was a highly unusual strategy, but it turned out to be a smart move by the prosecutors. Okay. At Forcello's trial, the prosecution said that James Forcello had overreacted 
and, quote, lost his cool in his decision to fire at Sami Yatim. A former police chief testifying as a use-of-force expert said he believed Yatim provided no imminent threat requiring the use of deadly force by Fursillo. The bullets from the second volley from Fursillo's sidearm had torn into Sami Yatim and caused serious injury to his genital organs and his lower abdominal area. Medical evidence indicated that Sammy had been paralyzed from one of the shots in the first volley, which had shattered his spine. Accordingly, the young man did not feel the impact of the six shots in the second volley, although his body jumped with each one. Fursillo testified, claiming that he'd seen Sammy beginning to sit up and perhaps come for him after the first shots. Surveillance video showed that that was not true. After Sammy fell to the floor, having been struck by the first volley of shots, his torso never moved from the floor. He was partially paralyzed on the verge of death and did not move at all. Yeah. He did not move threateningly at all. No. In cross-examination, the prosecution asked Frasilla why he had not put more effort into de-escalating the situation to avoid violence. Forsillo responded with something that actually made me mad when I read it. He said that pulling out his firearm in response to Sammy's knife was, quote, a form of de-escalation. So like intimidation, trying to convince him to like see what I have compared to what you have. Please put it down. Is that what he's saying? I think so, which is ridiculous. That's not de-escalating. That's just exacerbating the situation. If you incite fear, that's not de-escalation. Yeah. In support of the defense... A police college instructor testified that Fursillo was out of options the night that he shot Sammy at Tim. Several passengers who had been on the streetcar also testified of their experiences of fear, terror, and chaos when Yatim threatened them with his knife. Makes sense. Yeah. On January 25th, 2016, the jury found Fursillo not guilty of second-degree murder and manslaughter, but he was guilty of attempted murder. The jury accepted the defense's argument that Frasilla was justified in firing the first three shots, but found him not justified in the second round of shots, thus guilty of attempted murder. The verdict meant Frasilla would be guaranteed a four-year minimum sentence as his offense included a firearm. Frasilla challenged the minimum sentence law and his conviction in arguments heard in May 2016. After the defense was granted a postponement to prepare on May 16th, the legal challenge began on May 18th, expected to last two or three days, followed by the sentencing hearing over another two. The defense sought house arrest, and the Crown sought eight to ten years in prison. It could have been life. They yeah. could have gone for life. On July 28, 2016, Forsillo was sentenced to six years in prison. The TPS also suspended him without pay. After one night in jail, Fursillo was granted bail pending appeal of the court's decision to the Court of Appeal for Ontario. Fursillo's bail conditions required him to stay at the home of his then-wife and her parents. Because Fursillo was deemed unlikely to commit any further offenses, his bail was extended in November 2016. So he's not in jail for what he's done. He spent one night in jail at this point. In early November 2017, Fursillo applied for his bail to be modified so that he could live with his new fiancé instead of at the home of his now ex-wife and have his new fiancé added as a surety. Two days before the hearing for the bail modification was to be heard, provincial investigators found Fursillo at the residence of his fiancé in violation of his bail conditions. Fursillo was arrested the next day and charged with failing to comply with his recognizance, which has a maximum sentence of two years imprisonment. 
The Attorney General filed an application with the Court of Appeal to revoke Forsillo's bail. Forsillo's bail hearing for the charge of failing to comply with his bail conditions was delayed pending the result of the application to revoke his bail, which was scheduled to be heard on November 30th. So th- this guy wasn't following the rules. No, this is not cool. And then kind of all these legal kind of loopholes, delayed things. Mm-hmm. Priscilla was remanded in custody and was in protective custody because he was a police officer. The Court of Appeal for Ontario subsequently dismissed Forsillo's appeal on April 30th, 2018 and upheld the original trial-imposed six-year sentence. On December 6, 2018, the Supreme Court of Canada denied Forsillo's application for leave to appeal his condition. So, you gotta go to jail here, buddy, at some point. So, his bail had been revoked on December 29th, 2017. Okay. So, into jail he goes. Okay, so now he's in jail. Now he's in jail. Okay, after all that. After all that, he was in jail from December 29th, 2017. In August of 2019, he was granted day parole after serving 21 months of his six-year sentence. He was granted full parole on January 17th, 2020. That's just shocking. On July 31st, 2019, six years after Sammy's death, the Ontario coroner announced an inquest into the police shooting of Sammy Yatim. So I know these timelines are all over the place, but mm-hmm. it's just kind of the way things happened. Yeah. From CBC, quote, the recommendations that come from coroner's inquests in Ontario aren't legally binding. The jury does not assign blame, but instead suggests policy and procedural changes various agencies can make to prevent future deaths. Oh, okay. So this is a policy and procedure thing now. Yep, exactly. Okay. We have seen some changes in the way TPS officers handle potentially lethal situations. One outcome stands out sharply in contrast to Samia Tim's case, and it's a a case that we plan to cover soon. After the Toronto van attack perpetrated by Alec Manassian, TPS Constable Ken Lamb intercepted the damaged van which was stopped on the north sidewalk of Points Avenue. During the confrontation, Manassian repeatedly drew his hand from his back pocket and pointed a dark-colored object toward the police officer as if it were a pistol. Lamb ordered Manassian to drop to the ground while Manassian tried repeatedly to provoke the officer to kill him, demanding he be shot, quote, in the head, when the officer warned him that he may be shot. Lamb went to his cruiser and turned off his siren to de-escalate the situation. As Manassian and Lamb advanced toward each other, the officer recognized that the object in Manassian's hand was not a gun. He holstered his pistol and took out his baton to avoid the use of unnecessary lethal force. Manassian then dropped the object from his hand, lay down on the ground, and surrendered to Lamb. This interaction was also caught on cell phone video. Lamb was praised for keeping his cool and arresting Manassian without further violence. Yep. I was thinking of that when you first started talking because I remember that video of that guy. He kept flicking that thing out of his um, out of his jacket and that officer just staying very calm. Yeah. This case is, uh, is, is disturbing. Oh, for a lot of reasons. For a lot of reasons. But what do you, what do you want to talk about? What's your main thing on this? Two things. It just seemed how um, Sammy was just the way he just behaved just seemed so out of character suddenly. Just like in that time in his life, for whatever reason, he just kind of snapped. And then also that small duration of time where the police just like less than a minute. That's it. 
But at the same time, that pressure and the stress of the whole situation, it's just, it's, I don't know. You try to do your best, but then after the officer, kind of how he behaved after they tried to kind of punish him and then kind of take advantage of the situation, I didn't like that part either. Mm -hmm. So many things are messy and ugh. Yeah. I feel bad for the family, especially they come from Syria. Just like, this is not, uh, yeah. Yuck. Everything's awful. So there were some interesting things that I read that I kind of, I didn't add into the, the main bulk of the show. I got the documentation of James Forcillo's parole board of Canada decision, which is super interesting. So this is his full parole release from January, 2017. It says, no direct or indirect contact with any member of the victim's family. So do not contact them, mm-hmm. which is great. They didn't think that he would be reoffending at all, but they weren't pleased with the way he'd acted post-conviction. Mm-hmm. So they talk about, upon entering federal custody, your parole officer identified deficits in your personal emotional orientation. Your case management team, CMT, deemed this area as requiring a moderate need for improvement with low need noted in the area of attitude. To your credit, the board finds measurable and observable change in the dynamic ratings that contributed to your offending. The domain of personal emotional orientation now requires low need for improvement. There is no immediate need in the attitude domain. So when he was brought in and first assessed, he probably wasn't feeling the guilt that he should have been feeling. He wasn't expressing that which is interesting. His parole officer referred him for psychological counseling. And following that interview assessment, the clinician concluded that he did not present with any mental health concerns and assessed him as a low risk for recidivism. So they didn't think that he was going to go out and shoot anybody, but I don't think that he's going to be a police officer anymore. Well, I think that's fair. (laughs) Yeah, I'm being sarcastic. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So he's gone back to school and he is working on an apprenticeship through the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. So he wants to be an electrician now. Yeah, it doesn't sound fair. Just a big sigh. It's a big sigh. I don't know. Yeah, and that's it for this week's case. The world is a cruel place. Sometimes it is. Yeah. So I guess it's time for voicemails. All right. All right. Let's get some voicemails. Let's get some voicemails going here. All right. You can leave us a voicemail at one 327 5786 or at one 877 If your call stands out, you might hear it on the show. All right, here's our first voicemail. Looks like it's from somebody in Ontario. Oh, Ontario. Hi, Mike and Carol. I hope you can hear me. It's Maggie. I'm from Brockville, Ontario. Uh, I just wanted to tell you guys how much I seriously enjoy listening to the podcast. You make me laugh. You make me cry. And I don't know if you can hear that in the background, but uh, it helps me get through my chores here on the dairy farm. Uh, and I uh, I just wanted to say how much I appreciate you guys. Uh, thanks. Have a great day and go shit in your hat. <laughs> so there you go. Somebody calling us from a dairy farm. I love dairy farmers. Delicious y- yogurt. 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 Yes, as our friend in the, <laughs> yeah. It's yogurt. It's yogurt. Call what you want. It's delicious. Thank you, Peggy. And thank you, cows. Appreciate your milk. 
appreciate your milk. And Pre- cheese. I almost forgot cheese. Yeah, you're a big fan of cheese. Oh, I love cheese. Yeah. I think that's so why good. you married me, because you like the cheese. <laughs> you like the cheese. Huh? Huh? <laughs> yes, thanks. I'm always excited when somebody calls us from a farm. I, don't I know. know why. I don't know why. It's so nice. Yeah. Keep you company while you're doing your chores. While you're doing your chores. All right. Uh, here's another one. Hey, Doug Poutine. This is Sarah McLaughlin, but not your Sarah McLaughlin. I live in upstate New York, and I'm a teacher. However, I wrote you a nice little poem because I love your podcast so much. Here we go. Dark Poutine, you are a dream, the most delectable of all your fodder. With your neighborly tones, you share tales unknown with utmost respect and honor. Carol's sweet empathy, giggles and repartee tickle the ear like a friend. As Mike spins a yarn, placing each stone of a carn. Oh, I hope, dear, dear pod, you never end. Now go take a shit in your hat. And I love you guys. <laughs> Such a nice little poem. And then she tells us to go shit in her hat. Which makes it all better. That's the cherry on top. That's you know, that's the poopy cherry on top of the hat. And guess what? Your timing couldn't be more perfect. We're recording on Valentine's Day. So yeah, we got Valentine's your poem Day. on Valentine's Day. It's so nice. nice. Thank you. Thank you Aww. so much. All the way from New York. New York City. No, New York State. Oh, New York State. Yeah. See, I'm from Canada. I don't know anything. I don't know nothing. Nothing. Just commercials. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks, Sarah. All right. Here we have another one. Whoa. Looks like, wow. Let's let's listen. Let's have a listen. I'm let's listening. Have a l- listen. Let's listen. I'm listening. I'm so embarrassed. This is my second attempt because I had it written out and my screensaver on my phone came on and I forgot what I was going to say. But this is Kathy Smith-Acey from Oregon. I'm just calling to say I love your show. It's like listening to good friends chit-chat about true crime. And I love how respectful you are in every aspect of the cases. Carol's job descriptions make me snort, much to the amusement of my husband. And the baby elephant feeder story made me think of when I went to the San Diego Zoo when I was three. I was feeding an elephant and was terrified that it was going to suck my whole arm into its trunk. Even at age three, I was disasterizing. I also wanted to thank you for the Yumber Yard. I honestly feel like I have really good friends that I've never met. I don't want to name names for privacy issues, but I am going to say, Steve... Hope everyone has a great day. Go shit in someone else's hat. Be a good egg and don't litter. <laughs> well, there you go. Be a good egg and don't litter. Exactly. Thanks, Kathy Smith. Oh, that was so nice. And uh, I'm sure that I'm not going to keep his privacy. I'm sure that Matthew is going to be pleased he to hear He loves about it. He's eating it up. He loves the attention. Steve. Steve. You're a good boy. Steve is a drooly big boy. <laughs> feels like velvet he's just such a nice dog oh yeah i know the yumber yard is fun isn't it it really is um yeah if so if you were first hearing about the yumber yard i know we've talked about it before but if this is the first episode that you're listening to that's our main facebook group one of five (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i know we expanded we did kind of and yeah so you can find it on facebook just google or just Type in Yumber Yard. Yumber with a Y. Yeah. 
into Why? your into your Facebook search or dark poutine. You'll find it. You'll find it. Follow us. Yeah, follow us. Yeah. And um, Kathy Smith, I think I know who you are. I, I think I can is. see your icon in my Facebook group. There you go. That's so nice. Kathy. It's fun. Watch out for your arms, baby elephants. <laughs> baby elephants gonna eat your arms. No, don't. So once again, uh if you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do so by calling one 327 5786 or 1-877-D-A-R-K-P-T-N. And uh, you might hear your own voice on our show. All righty. Thanks for your voicemails. And let's move on to those Patreon and Donut Money shoutouts. First up, we have Terry Loretto Valentic. Wow. Great name. I don't know where Terry is from. So I think that maybe Carol will know where Terry is from. Hmm. Let me put on my thinking cap. Yeah. Hmm. You have to put on your random place generating thinking cap. <laughs> random Busted. place generator thinking cap. Oh, thinking. Carol's thinking. Oh. So let's. Where is Terry from, Carol? Racuia, Italy. Racuia, Italy. Mm-hmm. Okay, what what does she do there in Italy? We've got some other Italian folks who listen to the show. Super. Okay, so this is a job that um, I heard about first in the uh, Yum Yum Bus, our other uh, Facebook, Facebook group. group. Yeah. And someone there named Lisa Wilson said when she was a kid, Her cookie job was making the fork marks in the peanut butter cookies. So, so that's what Terry does. She makes that's exactly what she does as a grown up. Wow! That, but it's a very lucrative position. Lots of people want this job. How much do you get paid for being making fork fork marks and cookies? All the peanut butter cookies you can eat. Well, that plus they also transport you all around. Plus, you get to meet Keebler elves whenever you want to. You also have the um, creative decision to use a crisscross with the fork tines or just one. Depends. So, just so everybody's aware, I think Carol was drinking before the show (laughs) because she mentioned Keebler elves. I know. Wow. Keebler elves make cookies. Well, thank you so much, Terry. Terry. Much appreciated. We peanut butter cookie lovers appreciate you so much. She's kind of like a celebrity. Next, we have uh, a patron from a state that I have been to. Oh. And it is in Maine. Oh, me too. A little place called East Millinocket. I actually have been to Millinocket, Maine. So Millinocket? Yeah, I have been Ooh. there. Okay. And this is Nekia Stewart. So what does Nekia do there in East Millinocket, Maine, Carol? Okay, so she is a bed warmer. She's a bed warmer. Yes. So, so what does she she gets into bed before somebody else and exactly warm, warms and it warms up? up the bed because there are people out there that don't want to get into a cool, clean bed. So she gets in, warms it up, then gets out before yeah, they get that's in. That's it, man. So, so there's nothing weird going on. No, bed warming is not weird. Does she fart to warm up the bed? Hey, it depends what they ask for, but that's an extra charge. <laughs> Farting is an extra charge. <laughs> if you want farts, that's extra. Well, there you go. Well, thank you, Nakia. Nakia, people, she just, people love her work. She does great, great work. Yeah, bed warming is probably hard work. 
It is. Because you got to get into the cold bed. You're, you're taking one for the team. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Next, we have Lauren Chornobi. And I don't know where Lauren is from, so let's find out. Chenzang, China. She's from Qingzhen, China. Qingzhen, China. Okay, and what does she do there? I know it seems typical. Yeah. She's a computer hacker, but only for good viruses. Only for good viruses. Yeah, she doesn't steal anything. So she's what you call a white hat hacker instead of a black hat hacker. Yeah, that's totally what I meant. Yeah. That's the thing? Yes, it is. Wow. Yes. I thought I invented that. Nope. Someone else did. No, it has been around for a long time. So the white hats are the guys who go and test security at different places to Mm -hmm. make sure that it's strong. So say bank security and all those kind of things. We need them. Yeah. Oh, so she's like in Africa when they hire the poachers, they rehabilitate them. And then those poachers keep an eye out for the bad poachers. I gotcha. So there you go. Well, thanks, Lauren. That sounds like a real great job, actually. It does. Thank you. I just need to just point out this picture that comes with the computer hacker. It's a guy with a face mask on and gloves typing into a computer. I feel like that's a hard way to hack computers. Yeah, because you don't want to have somebody hacking computers because that uh yeah yeah he's also holding the laptop <laughs> yeah <laughs> with he, one arm he doesn't want to be seen while he's That's doing it. it he's hiding hiding he's hiding his goodness face mask to hack your security is excellent there you go and next up we have patrons who i know which is <gasps> weird well who are these people Ken and Teresa Richardson oh my gosh and Ken is actually one of my oldest friends in the in the world yeah he's he and i uh met each other way back when high at, school even before high school yeah at the crystal ball uh, and that, that what? the crystal ball was an arcade remember arcades oh right it's i thought you were it's a roller skating rink it's where i used to go and smoke cigarettes oh <gasps> shocking yeah and then mom would say were you smoking i'd say no everybody else was no it's ken no ken didn't <laughs> smoke uh but uh ken played a game called star wars and he would be he would play the game star wars put in a quarter and he could play endlessly and i i loved that game as well so i would see the high score was k-e-n ken Mm -hmm. and i would play and then the high score would be mcb yep me and then i would come back in the next day and k-e-n would be there and so finally one day i can't remember which of us was the one who was playing yeah, I think it was me asking, are you K? Are you Ken? And he said, yeah. And I said, I'm MCB. And that's how we met. There you go. Over video games. Nerds. We were adorable. Ken is a smart nerd, not He's a dumb nerd. He's super like smart. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, they also live, loves cars. They live in Conqueror Bank, Nova Scotia. And what uh, I know what both Ken and Teresa do. <laughs> they do. But let's, let's, let's give them some. Other jobs. Okay, I've got I've got the job for them. They work together as a team. Okay, great. And they are plane reposition repossessioners. So they're repo men for the planes. Whoa. So I they, know. So if somebody can't pay the bills, they go and uh they have to tow them away. <laughs> tow away planes. <laughs> Take them to the tow yard for the planes. I don't think there's a big airport in Conquerel Bank, Nova Scotia. Well, that's where they live because they're not very popular. They, they oh, repo planes. You. They're repoing planes. So they kind of live remotely, live off the grid a little bit. Then yeah, they have go. to do their tough, dirty work. Yep. So then they live the good life with their cars. Yeah, exactly. 
And those all-terrain vehicles they love. That's right. That's it out in the bush. Yep. So thanks, Ken and Teresa. And Teresa I've known for a long time, too. Nice. Yeah. She was, uh, she went to, she was in the same grade as my sister. So they oh. hung out a little bit and those kind of things. And uh, Teresa's a funny, funny person. Nice. Ken, Ken's the straight man in that relationship, let's just say. Oh, he also takes great photos of the stars. Yeah, he's, he's yeah, uh, an astronomy photographer. Photographer. Yeah. 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 Super. Very cool. Well, thanks, Ken and Teresa. We that was a, that. that was a nice surprise. That was seeing people that we know. Yes. Nice. All right. Next up. Thanks. So let's move on to donut money. Uh, it is time for that. Oh, we, we got some right in the mail this week. Yeah, we got some donut money uh, from Jen like, Miller. Jen Miller. What does Jen do for a living, Carol? She's a body for hire. She's a body. A what? It's a good thing. It's lucrative. Okay. She, so she gets hired to kind of sit in. She's like a seat filler. So she gets uh, for different events. Okay. For camera. So okay. I know that's a little bit of a lull right now with the COVID because there's no events. But in the past, she's the one that gets, they get her all dolled up and she gets to sit in the front row at the Oscars. Okay. So I, when I, when you said that she was a body for hire, my brain immediately went somewhere that wasn't nice. So oh, not nice, Mike Brown. I'm glad that uh, you. Um, <laughs> she also gets um, hired uh, as well to be a, a, a stand-in for executives. Oh, so for really? different meetings, yes. So they dress her up. She wears a power suit. Oh. And she sits in the staff meetings. So other people think, oh, look, another executive here. This company is way bigger than it actually is. We better pay attention. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's good for negotiation. <laughs> it is. Exactly. Negotiation is important. Yeah. So, Jen Miller in her power suit. Thank you for the donut money. We got it in the mail. And also, she sent me a little mask. A little mask? It's a Baby Yoda mask. What? I know. Look how cute it is. It says, snack, attack, and then there's Baby Yoda holding up a little frog. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm going to wear that next time I go grocery shopping. That's cool. It is cool. Thank you, Jen. Thank you. Donut money. Donut money. Which reminds me, we remember got... our friend Rich, who said his three favorite things are caffeine, nicotine, and donutine. That's right. So That's thanks for the said. donutine. And we also got another uh, e-transfer from somebody else. What? Legsy Charlton, who requested that we do some voices on the last show, and we did. I did the Werner Herzog voice. <laughs> Verna came it's to the classic. show and uh, she was so impressed. She sent us some donut money and what? she says, go piss up a rope and suck on the wet end. All I right. love your Werner voice. Wait, I don't want to suck on the wet end. No, you can. No, I'm I'll not. shit in the toque. <laughs> and then what do I have to do with that? I, I'm not. This, don't put it on your head. I'm not getting the good end of this deal here. Of the rope or the hat. You know, it's, this is bad news. What does Verna say? I think... That if anybody wants to shit in any hats, they should make sure that uh, there is enough room in the hat. <laughs> it's very good. It's practical advice. You don't want it touching you again. You don't want this happening. <laughs> Werner is weird. Yeah, you it, can throw it too at, at enemies. Yeah, he's a weird dude. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a little concerning. Oh, we didn't give Lexi a job though. 
No. And I have one here for Let's her. Let's give Lexi Charlton a job. Carol, what she does Lexi do? is a chef yep. on submarines. A submarine chef? Yes, she is. Oh, so she's a sandwich artist at Subway. <laughs> no. No. No, like she works on a submarine and okay. she is the chef. Not just a line cook. She's serving all the semen. <laughs> See, this gets worse. This just keeps getting worse. They're sailors. Sailors. She serves them delicious okay. food okay. on the submarine. Yeah. Because sailors need to eat when they're underwater, too. It's true. So there you go. Yeah. She's a chef. She's the best. People, all different militaries want to hire her because her cooking's so good on the submarine. Well, as long as she's not a screen door repairman on the submarine, that's There you great. go. Not a good job. Not a good job. So thank you, Lexi, and thank you for your uh, little donation. We really appreciate Aww. that. It was the best. Thank you. Next, we have Michael Taylor. And I don't know where Michael's from. Isn't he a musician? Michael Taylor? No, that's no. James Taylor. Oh, see, I'm the worst. Don't <laughs> ask me to remember names. Don't ask Carol to remember names. Or... I know Mike's name. I know my name. And there, I've exhausted my expertise. Yeah. So where is Michael Taylor from, Carol? Let's see. Ephraim, Nigeria. Oh, really? Yeah. What does he do there in Nigeria? He's a golf ball retrieval man. <laughs> a, a golf ball retrieval man? Yes. There are several high-end golf courses yeah. in his area. And so he goes and gets all the balls that are kind of all over the place. So he picks them up out of the rough and out of the, the woods. And and also in the water. So does he have diving gear that yeah. he uses? Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Does he have to be a certified diver? to? Yes. Wow. These are high-end places. Sounds like it. They need the top dogs. They don't want any uh As long as the alligator first. from uh, Happy Gilmore. It'd be crocodiles. <laughs> In Nigeria, crocodiles. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Crocodilia. Crocodilia. Yeah, watch out. Ah! So Michael Taylor says, hey, friendly friends, I've been <laughs> listening since I got hooked early last year. I and figure it's a boot time. I kicked in some loot to the old honey pot. Oh, honey pot! Yeah. Keep up the good work, so the gravy can keep flowing into your ear holes. Oh. Go shit in your hat. That's great. Thanks, oh, Michael. That was just a delight of work. That was like poem number two for today. He's a wordsmith. He is yeah. Michael Taylor, poet. Poet. Golf ball retrieval expert. And poet. And that is it for our donut money that this is week. a lot that was yeah thank you so much to our patrons and our donut money donors past and present we wouldn't be able to keep doing what we do unless you folks were so generous it's great so nice you can become a patron of dark poutine at patreon.com slash dark poutine or for one-time donation you can send us donut money via paypal using our email at dark poutine podcast dark poutine podcast at gmail.com if you don't already subscribe to the show, it would mean a lot to us if you did. You can easily find us on iTunes, Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes and other cool stuff. Please, Rad. please take the time to give Dark Poutine a like or follow on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. And this week we do have a promo. What? Yeah. Oh, I'm excited. Can we hear it now? We can hear it now. Oh, good. Our friend, Kate Walinga. Kate Walinga. We met her in Seattle. 
at a, a meetup. Nice. And she Thanks. has a little podcast that I've been on a couple of times. <gasps> oh. And it's called Ignorance Was Bliss. So here is Kate's promo. Hey, this is Kate. I'm a forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, and I collect stories. Everything from true crime to trauma to parenthood. There's a lot more in common between depression and sociopathy or between serial killers and podcasters than you might think. Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss at iwbpodcast.com and iwbpodcast on social media. Wow. Thanks, Kate. I am totally listening to that. Yeah, she's great. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I really like her show, so you should check it out. Uh, we'll include a link to that uh, just in case you missed it, or you can just rewind and listen, but we will include a link to Kate's show. And uh, yeah, a couple of people sent me some... Uh, she sounds like a science person. A science person? Yep. Okay. Science. That's great, Carol. <laughs> <laughs> I guess who's not a science person, Carol. Yep. Mm -hmm. Not science, but I love science people. There you go. So thanks and have a listen to Kate's show. Do it. Until we return, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. What? That's the end already? It already? is the end. It's the end of the show. Oh, okay. Well, that was quick. See ya. Bye. Bye. Hey, this is Kate. I'm a forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, and I collect stories. Everything from true crime to trauma to parenthood. There's a lot more in common between depression and sociopathy, or between serial killers and podcasters, than you might think. Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss at iwbpodcast.com and iwbpodcast on social media.